it could be a lot of different things. It could be some, you know, some crazy claim. Let's say, let's say a claim relating to your product is, you know, better than a competitor's product, or that, you know, that your product contains certain uh, ingredients um, when it really doesn't. Those are the ones that come up a lot, you know, for cosmetics and things like that. Um, you know, you, you say it has a certain, you know, uh, percentage of the effective ingredient, and it doesn't. That could be false advertising. Um, a bait and switch type of uh, situation could be false advertising. You're advertising one thing that has certain features, certain size, certain, you know, and certain properties, and it doesn't really have those things. Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Stephen Peterson. Hey, wanted to take a second and talk about. Gay Lisby and Gary Ray's Amazon Seller Tribe and their daily lists that are put out. Um, and incredible stories that you can read if you go out and check out uh, amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum hyphen arbitrage. I know that's a lot to put in there. Amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum dash arbitron. And you're going to get 14 day free trial. No money risk, no no challenges. You don't want it when you're done, you get out. But imagine getting a list, um, as Greg Fellows like to call it, mailbox money. I love that term, mailbox money. It's where you can work from your house, buy things online, have them delivered to you, and then sell them on uh, various marketplaces. But imagine you can have somebody else do that for you. So you want to buy time, you want to control uh, what they're buying. Well, you take these lists and you can join multiple lists if you're interested. And then you can segregate them for the merchandise you want and send them to them. They can make purchases for you on your behalf, have it delivered to you or delivered to them for prep. Boom, sent into these marketplaces and you could sell. How about that? Wouldn't that be awesome? I spoke at their conference and there were so many million dollar sellers just using online arbitrage. It's still available. And again, 14 days. The only way you're going to get 14 day free trials if you come through my link. Um, it is an affiliate link. Um, they do pay me, so I don't want to mislead you in any way. Um, I would appreciate it, but I'd like to see you try the 14 days. I've had so many people that have joined, have so much success. It's very exciting to me and you know, quite humbling to me. Um, that they trust me to recommend this group, and I 100% recommend this group. I've seen the results. These are great people that will also teach you to fish. This isn't just a, hey, here's the list, you're on your own. No, this is, hey, here's why that wasn't a good deal, or here, hey, there's another opportunity. And you get to join their groups, and it's just a phenomenal group of people, um, just great, great uh, leaders in that group, and these lists are phenomenal. So again, it's amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum hyphen arbitrage amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum hyphen arbitrage. Use that. Get two weeks free. Try it. You don't like it? Drop out. But give it a shot if you want to add that to your business. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 403, Mark Berkowitz. Uh, very cool guy. Um, he made, it's funny, afterwards I said it, uh, he made talking about law fun. I mean, really, it's so interesting when you start thinking about, because if you're selling, right, if you're developing products and selling on private label, or even if you're selling third-party products, um, I'm not sure you, me, Steve, 
have thought about a lot of these things. But now when you sit back, if you have your own products, wait till somebody comes on your listing. Then you're going to be thinking about a lot of these things, right? And so, because that's happened to us. And it's like, whoa, what do we do? You know, and then all of a sudden you now become the aggressive one. You're like, well, I'm going to hunt him down and, and pull them off, you know? Well, that when that happens to you, what do you feel like? So it's really interesting. Um, one of the real cool takeaways was that out of 100 letters, majority of them don't have any teeth. So those cease and desist letters you get might not have a lot of teeth, but you're going to have to pay to find that out. So, you know, I think there's some, some good advice here. Um, do your work up front, do your research, and be careful uh, how far you go. Your risk meter should be guiding you and be real cautious because there's some, there's some things that could happen to you and you want to be very, very cautious about. You want to build a nice long-term business. Let's get into the podcast. And welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. We're uh, going to talk some real interesting stuff today. Not, however, it is critical to our business. And uh, my guest would argue it is interesting because he has to think about it full time. Welcome, Mark Berkowitz. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. You would find IP and patent law interesting, correct? Definitely, particularly now with the growth of e-commerce and the internet. You know, we're seeing issues that we never imagined 10 years ago. Um, so, yeah, it's a particularly interesting time to, to be doing this. Would, would most of it, that's interesting. So would most of it 10 plus years ago have been, I mean, how would that have happened, right? So let's assume the Internet wasn't there, wasn't that long ago. Where would most of your work been concentrated? I think it was, you know, at least for me, it was a lot of it was consumer electronics, um, things like that. Uh, you know, the way issues would come up would be, you know, you, you know somebody would, basically walk into a store or see a product, you know, in a brick and mortar store and say, oh, that, that infringes my patent or, you know, you're infringing my trademark. Um, and they'd go, you know, try to track down where it's coming from, you know, talk to the, the seller, go back up the chain and eventually, you know, bring a lawsuit if they had to. Um, today, that's all different, you know, with e-commerce, with Amazon, you know, results, you know, and the need to take action is immediate. Um, you can get results right away by going through Amazon, kicking somebody off. Um, everything's sort of happening in real time. You know, it's interesting. And there are, like, because uh, I've dealt with the, um, oh, the photo company. I forget their name. I can't think of their name. But they, where they scroll, tro uh, scrape the Internet looking for photos that they own, and then they send you a bill, and you pay it. Yes. There's no yes. way around it. I forget the name of that company. They're massive. But that didn't exist. And so they have in essence, robots, right? These these algorithms is out there searching for that stuff. Have you seen that in the, I guess you have, I guess on Amazon, you would see that where people can be searching or have uh, programs out there searching for things related to their business, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for things like images, you have yeah. their, program, their programs that can do that. Um, for trademarks, the same thing. There's, you know, there's software, there's, you know, people sit, sitting there searching away, looking for potential infringements. Um, and when they see something, you know, you, you act right away. You fill out a form on Amazon, you know, whether it's you know, their regular infringement form through brand registry, um, and you get, you know, you get action right away. Well, I, I've heard some, you know, private label teachers, you know, kind of skirt those issues. In today's day and age, how, these big companies, these real big ones with a lot to lose, they have staff that works on this stuff, correct? Sure. They have, they have, some companies do it themselves. Some companies retain, you know, third-party brand protection companies, um, or you do it in, in you know, sort of a combination of the two. Um, yeah, and they're, they're, some of them can be very aggressive, um, you know, sometimes right, sometimes wrong, <laughs> uh, in going after 
private label sellers, going after you know resellers of, of branded goods, um, you know, especially with trademark law, you have an obligation to protect your rights, and you, know, there, you have to you have to move quickly. And in today's day and age, I think it's really important. So let me go through these. This is uh, kind of the practice that you guys have, and I think this is Steve's opinion that most that these are the ones that are related to e-commerce because that's what we are, right? We're e-commerce sellers. Uh, counter counterfeiting, anti-counterfeiting, copyright, false advertising. I don't think people think about that, but when you make some crazy claims, that stuff can come back to bite you. Um, IP litigation, um, that would be a good one. Uh, patents, obviously. Um, uh, I don't know what trade dress is. I'm interested in that. I mentioned trade secret in our pre-call, and you said that really doesn't come up much, but I want to think about that one for a second, and then trademark. Sure. And I, I also would say unfair competition, right? Because if, if, if me and you collude, right? I don't know if that's the correct term. That's the term I use in my old accounting terms. Well, if we get together to set prices, um, that's unfair, right? I mean, if, if a whole bunch of us uh, uh, do those kind of things, those are, are examples of unfair competition. So let's, let's peel them back one by one, if you don't mind. I'm going to watch a couple. So counterfeiting. Have you seen counterfeiting issues in, in e-commerce or Amazon? Absolutely. So there's counterfeits that are there's real counterfeits, you know, there's straight knockoffs. You know, so like the guy who is, is selling the purses, you know, or the, the gotchi uh, purses down on, uh, I don't know, down Canal on Street, Manhattan. Yeah. yeah, right. That's an example. But yeah. now it's even gotten bigger than that, hasn't it? It has. It has. I mean, I think, you know, you have the, the you know, what everybody thinks of as counterfeits, meaning the straight knockoff where they copy every aspect. Um, and there's things in between where maybe they're putting a name on the outer box Maybe they're selling something on a particular listing um, and suggesting that it's, you know, of that brand and then fulfilling it with a generic product that could potentially be counterfeiting. Um, so, that, yeah, it comes in a bunch of different flavors. And you, you see a lot of it, you know, especially on Amazon, real counterfeits. You also see a lot of um, incorrect counterfeiting allegations. People take advantage yeah. of it. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a real issue too. So, well, let's talk about the real counterfeit. So, I'm selling a product. It's my product. It's Steve's water bottle. It's beautiful, and somebody comes on my listing, and they're clearly not selling my version. They're selling another one, but it's my packaging because it's just a well-established brand. What's my recourse? What's what's the what's the where's the place I start? Well, I think the the best place to start, you know, is to write to them and say what you're selling is is counterfeit. Um, you need to remove it right away and tell us where you're getting it from. And so that uh, term, that's a pretty strong term. That's a fair accusation. If I can prove that I'm the only one, I make it, I bring it in here, it's mine, it's my packaging, everything else has to be counterfeit, correct? Yes. Okay. What if they bought it, you know, from a friend? So somebody gifted it to you, Mark Berkowitz, and you got it as a gift, and then you put it in your yard sale, and then all of a sudden it went out there on the street, and then some Amazon seller comes along, scans that baby, and says, "Holy smokes, he's selling it for a quarter. I could sell it for thirty bucks." I put it up. Am I still counter? Are you still counterfeiting if that happens? I mean, if the product itself is really counterfeit, um, then you're responsible. Whether you knew it was counterfeit or didn't know it was counterfeit. Um, okay. You are, you but in that, but in my example, they're selling a real product. It's just that they don't have rights to sell it. That's a different kind of dispute, correct? That's, that's a different dispute. Okay. Yes. All right. Because that happens, right? And it but, happens a lot. Yes. And people say, though, Mark, you're counterfeiting. But I'm not. I, th I think that most – I think there's some gray here. I think that most, most attorneys would say that that's not really a counterfeit 
I think they, they would say you're unauthorized or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's a that's a pretty bold statement to use the word counterfeit. Is that something that you steer your clients away from that term because it is so? I think that you know mo- most people are more comfortable using you know using counterfeit when it's really a, a real knockoff, what we think of as the fake Gucci bag. I think because it's you know the word counterfeiting it really has some very you know serious repercussions behind it. Counterfeiting could even be you know criminal. So I, I think that I think that most attorneys would rather use that term only when it's really necessary. Okay, okay. So so probably it sounds like we should steer clear of that. Okay, then we come down to copyright. Now copyright, walk me through an example of what copyright would be. So works of authorship, uh, what you think of the creative works. Uh, you compose a, a symphony, you uh, create, draw a painting, uh, you write write a novel. Those are all works of copyright. I think for, for e-commerce sellers, the things that you know that come up are your photographs that you take for your for your product listing and your your, your ad copy, right? It, it well, that's a good point. The, the photograph. So if if you're using my photograph. In your listing, right, you're taking, because let's face it, one of the biggest uh, issues out there, not not issues, one of the biggest things that happens is everybody, there are companies that have software that scrape Amazon and then they drop ship on other websites, on eBay, mm-hmm. for example, right? But they're right. using my photo because they're scraping Amazon and Amazon's allowing them to scrape it and bring it off. Um, who's at fault there? It depends. So. When it, when a brand um, puts up a listing on Amazon, right, and they put up their own their own photographs, um, they're giving Amazon a right to use those photo use those photographs, and for third parties to list against that that listing, which contains those photographs. So in that case, um, it wouldn't be an infringement issue. Where the where the issues would come up for a seller is if you grab the brand's listing, let's say the brand's brand's photographs from their website, and then create your own Amazon listing using those photographs. That could be an issue. Well, also, if they take and scrape that photo and then put it on another website, like an eBay or whatever, same, could, thing. same thing. So that's an issue. Is Does Amazon have any culpability because they're allowing that to happen? I mean, shouldn't they protect my image? They allow these people to have access to their API. Does that give them what, some uh, some culpability? Well, I, I think that Amazon will respond to complaints of copyright infringement, Um you know, if you file a report, you know, report with them saying that you're, you know, that's your photograph, Amazon will take it, will take it down. Okay. Have, that creates a safe harbor for them. Okay. Uh, so as long them. as they're doing that, then they're protected by that. Okay. All right. Right. If, if, if somebody reports to them and Amazon doesn't do anything, then that's, and they could be liable. Yes. So um, if I allow this to happen, I knowingly allow this to happen where I know that they're selling my product over on eBay and, you know, let's say I'm selling it for 100 bucks on Amazon. On eBay, they're selling it for $150, right? Free shipping because they're going to take advantage of Prime, just like all dropshippers do, right? Yeah. If I allow that to happen over time, is that almost acceptance? And so I would have a tough time enforcing it when I choose to? Probably not. Okay. I mean, there are some legal uh, defenses that relate to delay, um, but they are – in this context, it would, it would be difficult to show. Okay. All right. So I would have rights as long as I found it, and I would say, hey, this has to stop. Boom. And if they didn't, then I have some legal rights. Yeah, but it's, it's always better to move quickly. I mean, there's, there's no question. By, by letting it go on longer and longer, 
you're just creating more, more trouble for yourself. So this was a tough one to understand as a man. Boastful exaggeration. Never heard that <laughs> in the man's world uh, ever, said Steve, right? Um, what is false advertising as it relates of, to e-commerce? It could be a lot of different things. It could be some, you know, some crazy claim, let's say, Let's say a claim relating to that your product is you know better than a competitor's product, or that you know that your product contains certain uh, ingredients um, when it really doesn't. Those are the ones that come up a lot, you know, for cosmetics and things like that. Um, you know, you, you say it has a certain you know uh, percentage of the effective ingredient and it doesn't. That could be false advertising. Um, a bait and switch type of uh, situation could be false advertising. You're advertising one thing that has certain features, certain size, certain, you know, and certain properties, and it doesn't really have those things. So, so I, I would think like CBD right now would be one of those places <laughs> that's probably a, a a big flag, right? Am I? You're laughing, so that's probably what comes I was, up a lot. I, was, I almost gave that example. <laughs> oh, say we're both on the same page, right? It, it yeah. just seems funny because, you know, now I see it. They advertise it for pets, and then people are taking it. But then they claim everything. I mean, they're, I don't know about where you – well, you're in New York, so they're probably everywhere. There's a CBD shop opening up on every corner in our town now, I mean, just like breweries, right? They're just everywhere. And right. they've got I, – I never knew they made you know graham cracker CBDs. I mean, they have everything. Mm-hmm. And they make a lot of claims on there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cure everything that's ever ailed you, Mark. Um, problems? It could be, yes. Could be. Yes. Like, likely? Yes. Likely, yes. Likely. And it's because it's so new, it's hard to prove. What about, though, that I, I, yeah, I think about trade shows I went to. I went to Atlanta Martin. There was a great company selling CBD stuff. And they're like, Steve, we'll let you sell it on Amazon. Go right ahead, right? You just got to be careful with your wording because they're real picky on that. Am I, and if I sell it and then all of a sudden they come, I'm, I'm exposing our business there, correct? Yes, yes, you're exposing your business. You're exposing yourself, too. One interesting thing is that under trademark law, you can be personally liable, right? So you, you can't really hide behind, you know, a corporation or some other legal entity. So but you have to be careful. But isn't the manufacturer responsible? Why am I responsible? If you're selling it, you're, you're, you know, you're putting yourself in front, you know, on when, the hook there. When they sue, they sue everybody, correct? Typically, yes. Yeah, and so you're in, whether you're in or not, in, and even to get out, it's expensive. You guys are not cheap anymore. What happened? <laughs> I don't think we were ever cheap. Yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> and it's yeah, going wanna, higher. You want to stay out of litigation. You want to stay out of it. Okay, so IP litigation and then a, a international protection. I think that's kind of the same thing. One, one U.S. and then the others internationally. So sure. let's let's talk about that because I, I think that that's really a big deal right now. Would you agree? Yeah, I think I think it's it's changed a lot at least you know since the time I started practicing. Um, you know, I think that you see the, the growth of Amazon and its enforcement system. I think has has changed things substantially. As I started to say in the beginning, you know, in the old days you would you know try to track down where a product was coming from and you bring a lawsuit and it takes you you know a year and a half, two years of litigation and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to to get to a result. Um, with Amazon, you know, or eBay, um, you can get a result in a day or two. You can get rid of the product and really? deal with it that way. So you're seeing a lot more of that. Um, but don't I have really- risk if I get rid of your product? If I make a claim and then we take down your product and it turns out my claim is not correct, that's a risk too, correct? Sure. It's possible somebody could come after you for filing a false claim. But let's, just, let's assume it's a, it's a valid claim. 
somebody really is infringing your patent or your trademark. Um, you can, the ability to get these results, you know, so fast, you know, through Amazon, um, is is really just been a game changer. So it, this has made your business. I don't know if the right term is easier. It just uh, because I'm sure it got way more complicated, right? I mean, I'm sure the law expanded, right? Because it wasn't written right. back in the day. They didn't think about the internet back when they wrote these laws, right? So that part gets harder, but this some of it just gets easier because of, like you say, I can get a reaction almost within a day or day and a half. Does Amazon have a large legal department? I'm guessing. It doesn't. From from my understanding, it's not nearly as large as it needs to be. I think a lot of these a lot of these type of complaints are handled. You know, they're either outsourced or they're being handled, you know, through computer systems, um, and there's there's not enough human oversight there. So oh, that's interesting. Is that how? I mean, and I, I guess I'm, you know, I'm guess I'm asking your opinion on this, but is that part of the problem that they have in Europe now? Because they they, you know, they're just not. Apparently, Europe is much more aggressive on enforcing these things, right? It's what it seems like. Um, what I've read. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I can't say if that's the case. I mean, generally, you know. Litigation is, is very different in Europe. The, the, the European, you know, the companies are a lot less litigious, and um, in Europe in general, it's a it's a loser pays rule. So people think a lot deeper before entering into litigation. So whoa, now you're making me pause. Loser pays. So uh, you've got to be. We're here, you know. Um, I always tell this story. We used to settle so many uh, um, nuisance lawsuits, and I forget what we used to call it, but it was always like five grand to make it go mm-hmm. away. You know, it was just always like, Here, here's your five grand. Go stop suing us, right? Because it was a waste of time. Right. There, so if I bring a lawsuit, I have potential liability. Yes, if you if you lose, then you pay the other side's attorney's fees, really? uh, which is significant. Is that historical for them? I mean, is that the way it's always been, kind of? Yes. And why are we different, Mark? Tell us your <laughs> real opinion. Because of guys like you, dude, come on, fess up. No idea, yeah. It's, everybody always has a comment. I've heard it from many, many judges. They say we need the European system. <laughs> really? Do you yeah. think there's any chance, I mean, it's kind of silly to discuss, but I mean, do you think there's any chance that this stuff could, do you see any trends to suggest that this stuff has to, because it's crazy, right? I mean, even you guys must say it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's really crazy what's going on now. All right, we're going to keep moving. Um, there's a bunch yeah. more. Let's talk patents. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I understand what is patentable. Sure. Um, so I think I think when you're talking patents, you need to really start with, there's really two different kinds of patents that are pretty different, and a lot of people don't realize that. Um, there are utility patents that cover how things work, and there are design patents that cover how things look, the ornamental features. Um, and it's important to keep those uh, separate and to understand when you need to go for which one. So starting with utility patents, um, again, these cover how, how things work. Um, let's say you have a pen, it would, you know, it would cover the, the little ball at the end, uh, a tube filled with ink and some sort of body. So it wouldn't matter what it looked like, it would just, the function would matter. Um, and to decide whether it's patentable or not, whether you could obtain a patent, um, you would have a patent attorney do a, what's called a search, clear a right, a, some sort of right to use or clearance search to see if see what's been done before, um, and whether that particular item has already been invented, um, and then make a decision whether it would be patentable, um, whether the exact item has been you know, described before, 
or whether it would be obvious over what was previously described and known to the public. And so that obvious is where it really gets right. I mean, because that, like you're saying, all right, because I'm sure people take that pen and they say, hey, I'm not going to use a blue ball. I'm going to use a red ball, Mark. This is going to be big. I mean, we're going to make it big here. That probably wouldn't pass the muster, right, for uh, um, coming through for patent, right? That's already been, it's pretty much the same, just the color change wouldn't be enough, most likely? Right. Okay. Something, something like a color change now. Okay, so a color change wouldn't be, what's another most likely thing that people would, uh, you know, uh, is it a round stop sign versus a octagon stop sign? I mean, would that be? Probably not, you know, shape alone, maybe had a stop sign that, you know, automatically detects, you know, approaching vehicles and, you know, blinks three times and, or, or a stop sign that's, you know, solar powered and has some unique, you know, battery in it, something like that. That could, might make pass the muster, but if it blinks three times and, and mine blinks four times, Mark, I'm better. That would probably not be patentable because it, it's kind of the same. Is that, is that a, a distinction that's reasonable? It, it could be. Okay. Really depends. Is it subjective? I mean, does it depend on the interpreter, whoever the attorney that's, you know, wherever the patent office is? Is that subjective? There is an element of subjectiveness to it. Um, you know, all these patents go, there's patent examiners that review them. Um, and yeah, they, they can't help but, you know, referring, you know, looking at their own, applying their own discretion, right? And is it, that will be obvious to them. Can you go back? If Can you challenge those things? I mean, if, if you just see it's obvious that it's because its brother-in-law has the patent. I mean, they just went through, obviously, maybe that's a bad example. But, I mean, they missed something. Can you challenge that as an attorney? Sure. So the, the patent process, especially with the utility patent process, um, it usually takes quite a while. And there's a lot of back and forth between oh. the attorney and the, the examiner. Um, there's an appeal process. Um, yeah, you have lots of different avenues for, for challenging the examiner and trying to prove that your, your item really is something uh, new. Do you see that a lot? Yes. I mean, in practice, most most of the time, there's a lot of back and forth. And, but I meant challenges. Do you see yes. a lot of challenges? Both sides, right? Because I'm both sure you're sides, defending, yeah. and then you're also the offense, right? You're going after them. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, um, let's talk. Tell me what trade dress is. I'm not certain I understand that. Sure. So it's, it's sort of an offshoot of trademark law. Um, if you have a very a very unique um, item uh, that when you look at it, it you automatically connect it with um, a particular source of product, a particular brand or something like that. Um, so I think you have a good example. Let's say what I like is, let's say the, the Coke bottle, right? Hmm. So you look at it, if I took the, the label off of a Coke bottle, right? And I put it in front of you, you'd probably look at it and you'd say Coke, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Especially if it was the so, old green bottles, for sure. I mean, that's right. even easier. Yeah. So the, the shape of that bottle, right? And all the different facets to it um, would be trade dress. You know, one of the ones we think of the, the bottle, the, the Aunt Jemima syrup. Yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. The that's shape, a good one. That, that's classic trade dress. Um, it's, in, pra- in it's, practice, it's kind of it's tough to establish because it has to be, it has to be something really strong. And today's day and age, that's got to be even harder because of the millions of products out there, right? I mean, it must really make it hard. Is there yeah. anybody recently that's been able to create one of those things? Has there, uh, can you think of an example recently? Um, I believe like the uh, like the swell bottles, they were able to get some trade ah, dress protection. Okay, um, 
I, I don't know whether they're held up you know, in, in legal challenges, but I believe that they were able to get registrations for them. Well, that, that makes an interesting point, and I know we're going to get the trademark next. That Just the fact that they made it through the first round and they got that trade dress protection doesn't mean it's going to stand, right? That means it can be challenged. But they could send some nasty, threatening letters that would scare away most sellers because of that, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And do you see a lot of that? I mean, is that one of those things that because it you know whenever I get one of those things I'm always like yep we're done I'm not I'm not fighting anything I'm out <laughs> you know what I mean I don't want to you know um, do most people or are you starting to see people push back and say hey wait a second that's not fair it just depends on the situation I mean I'll look at it and you know we'll make a decision as to how strong it is and you know what the client's you know tolerance is for, for risk and then you decide you know whether to push back I mean I, I think over you know most of these type of letters or don't have you know much behind them. They're, they're somebody trying to bully somebody else. They're pretty scary. So, and, and we're going to talk about that, what to do when you get these letters. Because when you read them, I mean, it's filled with stuff I don't understand. I'm not that smart. And I, I'm sure they're just standard paragraphs. They just drop in that say nothing. They talk to themselves, right? And they just put it in there, and it makes it look bigger and meaner and scarier. Um, and so I guess well, we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, let's do trademark, right? And that... That, that's an interesting one, especially today, because, man, I try to, you know, I'm always looking at, um, you know, domains. I'm a domain buyer, and I'm always looking mm-hmm. for a good domain. And sure, as, as soon as I find one, then I go out and search for a trademark. And sure enough, it's always there. A lot of them are inactive, but they're still there. So can you talk us talk to us about that? Right. So I mean, trademark is, again, anything that can denote the source of the goods. So it can be a name. It can be a combination of colors. It could really be, be anything that you look at it and you say, okay, um, that's made by a particular company, that's made by Apple, that's, that, that's Nike. Um, and yeah, I think most people that are starting a business or they're starting to sell on Amazon, private labeling, I think trademark is sort of the first exposure to intellectual property that they have. Um, that's the first thing they, they need a name for their brand. And um, you know, so, some of the pitfalls that we see is people just not doing a proper search before they start using a name. They just pick a name that they like and they, they run with it. So uh, me dropping that name in trademarky is not good enough? No. So that that might tell you whether there's an exact hit or exact in the trademark database, whether somebody's already registered it. But what about all the different variations of a name you could have based on you know sight, sound, meaning? All those things have to be considered, and only a proper search is going to find those. And there's more there's – more you know, to the world besides just what's in the trademark database. There's also something other people can have rights to a trademark, even if they didn't register it. They can have what's called common law rights. Well, what's the risk? So let's say I did my trademark here and I went through and I didn't find it. And I'm like, ooh, I'm good to go. And I go and I hit a home run. What's the risk? The risk is that you're going to have to pull all your products from the shelves and or from wherever you put them, and you're going to have to pay damages to somebody. And damages uh, get scary, right? Because it's their lost business in addition to your made business. Am I correct it, when I say that? You have to pick one. So it's it's either their their lost profit, their lost profits, or damage to their their mark, or your profits. Oh, really? And I'm assuming they always pick the higher one, don't you? you of course. Of yeah. Course. Jeez, you guys. But but the, the the big issue is really having to. Rebrand yourself, right? You, what if you spent a fortune on on product packaging and have all the products ready, um, you know, and now you can't sell any of it? It's all got to go in the garbage. That's that's usually the bigger issue. 
Well, uh, I think, um, well, then they sell a third part. That, that's how you find <laughs> the stuff at auctions. I mean, I've been, it's, no, it's a true story. I went to an auction and there was so much Amazon third party private label stuff for sale that went for, I, I used the description of the meat claws. I paid, what did I pay for meat claws? Uh, 28 cents a, a pack and the auctioneer takes a third. So that poor guy who got those meat claws, you know, got 20 cents a pack. You know, who knows what he did. But it's an item that, you know, uh, that people, that's how that stuff happens, correct? Yes, but I can tell you that in most cases, you know, when a brand catches you um, infringing, they're not going to let you sell it at auction. They're going to want you to destroy it. Yeah, but that's, uh, that's all great. Yeah, of course, destroy it. Yeah, I destroyed it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. But there's, again, you're exposing yourself if you don't, if you don't abide by the, what you've agreed to, let's say destroy it, you're putting yourself at risk. How strong are, uh, are you seeing these things in force now? I mean, are, are, is, there a, is it getting uh, – are, are companies getting more aggressive, brands getting more aggressive? Definitely. Definitely. And why, I, why is that? I, I think that pretty much every brand sees where things are going. They're seeing that more and more sales are being done over the internet, particularly on Amazon. Um, and they just want to be able to control those channels. Well, their, their retailers are closing, right? All the retail stores, well, yep. I don't want to say all, a lot of the retail stores are closing. And so they are saying, if we don't control this, we have, we're going to be out of business. Essentially. Hmm. I mean, you think today, I believe more than 50% of every dollar spent online is spent on through Amazon. That alone is just, you know, it's a, it's a gorilla. So if you can control that channel then uh, you know, you're controlling a big portion of your sales. The last one that's on the list is unfair, and, and I'm, I'm going to uh, give people, you go to arelaw.com, arelaw.com, that's the law firm um, where Mark works, Amster, Rothstein, and Ebenstein, got that right, um, yes. but it's arelaw.com, and, and then it forward slash practice, um, you can see the areas they specialize, and they describe these a heck of a lot better than I do, I'm just trying to make them understandable for myself. Unfair competition. Tell me how that what you've seen out there in the uh, e-commerce world with unfair competition. Unfair competition really covers a lot of things, um, including a lot of the things that we've covered today. It covers trademark, uh, traditional trademark infringement, false advertising, the bait and switch type of uh, tactics. Um, uh, uh, those are really where it comes up. Um, it, you know, it, it really it can be almost any sort of deceptive acts by one business mm -hmm. or one competitor against another um, that's, you know, causing harm to you. You know, try, I, I, you know, one thing that pops up, you know, think about all the black hat tactics that take place on Amazon. Overseas. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Whether it's overseas or, or, or here. Um, yeah. There's a lot of people um, trying to, you know, basically steal your, your name on, on Amazon, steal your, you know, uh, bad, you know, the review, review manipulation, um, We've had all kinds of weird things where, you know, let's say a competitor would buy a whole bunch of products, you know, buy a hundred products, uh, remove a particular important component from them, and then return them to Amazon so they get resold to unsuspecting buyers who then leave bad reviews. Are you kidding? Oh, there's all kinds of, I'm thinking, you know, all the black hat tactics, really, those would be, you know, unfair competition, um, things that, you know, you never imagined before. <laughs> I never even heard that one before. That's a new one for me, that people do that kind of thing. That's crazy to me. Aren't they, I mean, I guess they obviously don't care. They don't have ethics and morals. But at some point, 
in today's day and age, especially with the internet, this stuff you can be tracked. They're finding these people. I'm assuming they're enforcing these uh, these uh, these issues when it comes up. It seems like Amazon's doing a better job as best as they can um, to try to deal with it. It is, you know, right. Well, we have a good case. We present it to Amazon. They usually do take action um, and some sort of enforcement against the, these people. But it, you'd be surprised that sometimes it's not so easy to figure out who's really behind it. Um, when there's a bunch of competitors, um, you know, sometimes people will hide behind, you know, post office addresses and, you know, fake addresses. And it's, it's not always so easy to track them down. Have you ha- been surprised by any of them? I mean, you know, without giving away names, I mean, but have you found, have, well, let me ask this. Have you found a brand doing that to a real legitimate third party seller? I found that, you know, we found brands, you know, mostly other Amazon type of Amazon okay. based businesses. Okay. I, I haven't said, you know, it hasn't been like a fortune 500 company doing things like that. Okay. No. Right. And you would think that they would have enough controls in place to prevent that kind of stuff. But I guess, you know, people get, you know, wacko, they know they're going to lose their job. I imagine, you know, there were some people at some of these large chains that went out of business that are, that were probably, you know, doing anything they can to hold their job. So you never know, I guess. Sure. sure. Yeah. Even, even within some larger companies, you see somebody that's been tasked with doing, you know, the e-commerce side or the brand enforcement. And I think that somehow they, sometimes they do some of these tactics, you know, trying to get their numbers up or things like that. Um, and the company as a whole, maybe not, doesn't always realize what's going on. One of the ones that I see, because I've gotten some of these letters, are those nasty letters that say, you know, um, you, you are selling a counterfeit item or you have no rights to sell my product, Steve. You know, uh, you be cease and desist or else. I'm coming after your kids. Um, how 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 toothless or tooth? How toothy are those things? Are they strong? I guess. I mean, I, you're going to say it depends. Of course, it's going to qualify it, right? It's, but I well, mean, what about? All right. Well, let me ask it this way. Let me say this: me sending out those letters. I've got to be cautious, correct? Because I, I, I see people advising people: send them that letter immediately. Tell them to get off your brand. You've got to be careful what your wording is, correct? Yeah, that would be my advice. Is you should word it carefully. Just you should start at you know not everybody not everybody understands you know what they're doing and whether they're what they're doing is right or wrong. So sometimes a, a educational type of letter goes a long way, and you know lots of times you explain to somebody that you know what they're doing isn't right, and they'll stop. They'll look at an email right back from them saying, "Oh, I, I didn't know. I'll take it down. No problem." Uh, but there are those more nefarious actors that need more persuading. I, I tell this story. Um, I remember getting a, a lawyer letter for selling CDs, and it was music. It was an old person music. I don't even know, and they were used. And they forced me to take them down. And I actually talked to the attorney, and he's like, you know, I represent these clients, and these are names you would know, but they're old. Well, let me say this: your grandparents would know, Mark. Um, those, but I mean, it was it was serious enough, and I was like, yep. But he was very respectful. He's like, yep, take them down, no problem. Uh, we're fine, and. I mean, I had no rights. I mean, I get it. That part I get. But he was reasonable and he was easy to work with. Uh, lots of times you get these just people spouting out this negative stuff and they're a little aggressive. What do you do in that case? Well, I, I think when you get one of these letters, if you don't know enough about the law and don't really understand what the letter says, you know, please consult with an attorney or somebody that does know because – it's very possible that you are breaking law. We just don't, you don't know. Until you know, you don't know how to, how to respond to it. Um, when you get somebody that is obnoxious or that's making crazy demands, um, yeah, the best bet is to let an attorney deal with them. And uh, from our, you know, 
we know what, what you can say. You can be just as say. mean, can't you? You can be, of I course. bet you, yeah. Well, let me ask that. Uh, out, of 10, out of 10 letters you see, how many of them are legit and you have to tell your client, hey, stop selling that? Uh, I would say a smaller percentage. Uh, you wait, know, wait, most hold of- on. Wait, wait. So you're saying out of 10, right? I'm going to say out of a 10. All right, let's go to 100. You got a, you saw a hundred letters where people got these letters. They were sent to me and you know my nephew and all the rest of us. We got these letters. What percentage of them would you say are have no teeth and they're not they're not legit? I would say a majority. Really? I would say the you know if you want look the answer is always if you want zero risk, stop selling the product and comply with their demands. Um, but you know everybody has a different risk level and you. you do your research and you advise the client um, and you explain what can happen and what, what can't happen. And So majority really of them are not legit. Majority of them you don't have to stop is what you just said, correct? And you're not giving advice and you're not going to um, hold this, anybody. I no, mean, no, no. I think, it, I think everybody's, everybody's situation is different. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of letters out there that really don't have any, any teeth to them. Okay. Um, Okay. I've heard this phrase, the first seller doctrine. First sale like, doctrine. First sure. sale doctrine, right? That's my, I got a shirt. I, I whip that shirt out, take picture, a selfie and send it to the guy with a smile. Mm-hmm. Is there teeth? Does that have some strength? It has some. The problem, there's, there's a number of exceptions to the first sale doctrine, um, depending on whether you, you alter the product um, and uh, you know whether certain properties relating to the product have changed. Um, this is one of the areas that's there's a lot of gray. Okay, so very so spe- very they changed their packaging. That could be that's uh, that's enough of a difference. I might not be able to use the first sale doctrine to sell it because they were selling a blue package and now it's a pink package for whatever reason. I mean, not, that- not if they changed it. If you ch- if you made that change, uh, um, okay. Let's say let's say you took the product and you re- you repackaged it in some way that was you know harmful to the brand or to consumers, um, you know, an adulterated product, um, that would certainly, you know, th- that might invoke an exception to the first sale doctrine. It might. Uh, you didn't say it will. You said it might. That's, again, you know, subjective, it's, right? It's, it's, there's all, all of that's very fact-specific. So, so if I took something out and it was, uh, it was a four-pack and I opened it up and I put it into single packs, for example, um, and they only sold it in four packs, and now I'm selling it in a single. And probably the other way around is a better example. I'm taking their single packs, putting four together, putting it in a box, and sending it into Amazon. That's done all the time, right? Bundles, as we call yes. it. Yes. That is that potentially a problem? I would say the people have made that argument. Yeah, I mean, is there a clear oh. case that I can't cite? I can't think off the top of my head of a case that you know directly says that. I can tell you, there's been I've been involved in cases where that those arguments have been made. Um, and where do they end? I can say that you know the cases that I've been involved in have been resolved, um, but you're yeah, people have made to, people. You're not going to give us any more details, are you? <laughs> Again, it's all really fact specific. Um, so, because it's probably fallen on both ways, right? You're saying, yeah, sometimes the seller has to stop, or sometimes they don't, right? So, I mean, I, I, there is no. This is the way it's done every time, right? Until it actually goes, you know, through trial and a jury makes a decision, uh, which doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I was going to uh, say this. This most of this stuff ends here, right? Most of it, how much of this stuff do you see go to trial? Not a lot. Most things, you know, they go for a little bit and, you know, these cases often settle. Well, you know, you go out and you speak on this subject to e-commerce sellers. Mm-hmm. What What's the, the top three, five pieces of advice that you guys give out 
that, you know, kind of absolutes for sellers to really be cautious with if they really want to build a business, not a brand. I don't care about the brand or any of that crap. It's they're trying to build a legit business that has uh, that has uh, capacity to grow, that has a future that might be sustainable. What's the top advice that you guys give? Well, I guess as, as IP attorneys, um, you know, we, we do sort of tie together the brand part. You know, we encourage people to basically do, do the work up front. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of businesses when they're starting up, you know, they're sort of strapped for cash and they don't want to spend money on legal. Um, but it's, it's always better to try to do as much what you can up front. Okay, uh, so plan, give an example. What, are they, what so, would be some of the work? Right. So, you know, for, for almost every company, it's, it's getting your trademark, you know, picking a name, picking a good name, getting it cleared, making sure that you're not infringing any other, anybody else's trademark rights, uh, and getting it registered. That's probably the first step that you have to do. Again, as we, as we said, you don't want to go through the whole process and do all your marketing and stuff and find out you got to pull it. That, that would be worst case. Um, and the same thing with the, with the patents. Uh, if you have a new product, a new design, um, you know, get your patent on file. It takes a long time to go through the process. You know, you're talking about a you know, year, year and a half, couple of years um, to get your patent. Um, you don't want to be in a, you know, the situation we always, you know, that, that always comes up is you get the frantic call from, from somebody, an e-commerce seller, an Amazon seller saying, somebody's, somebody's on my listing, so, somebody's selling the same product, what can I do? And, you know, I, I say to them, what, what, what do you have so far? What have you already done? And often the response is, well, nothing. Um, and especially for you know for things like patents, you have a time limit in which you know you can you have to file. If you don't file your your patent for a patent within one year from when you first started selling it, um, you're out of luck, and somebody can go and freely. You know, so within the first year, I started selling Steve's water bottle. It's a beautiful design, by the way. Mm-hmm. That water bottle, I have one year to get it patented, or I risk the ability of somebody else patenting it. They won't. A third party wouldn't be able to obtain their own patent, but nobody would be able to patent. So nobody. Oh, no kidding. So something yeah. that's been around. No kidding. I was thinking about this as applies with the trademark with merch, because one of the things that I see on on merch. I'm assuming you've dealt with these cases too on Amazon merch, right? Specifically, I have this great saying: cats love, you know, the rain. I don't know. I'm making this up. And I'm selling it, selling it, selling it. And then all of a sudden, somebody applies for a trademark on it. Mm-hmm. Or, no, copyright, excuse me. Right? Well, um, if it's a, a, say, a slogan, potentially, it could be. Okay, so wait, 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 wait. So let's say trademark. And they apply for a trademark, and then they send me a note Steve, you're not allowed to sell this. We have a trademark uh, on this. And. I, th- I think in the past, from what I understand, is Amazon would say, hey, whoa, you got to stop selling it, Steve. Uh, we had a complaint. You, they have a trademark. You're out. But wait, I've been selling it for two years before they, and their trademark is this week. Do I have so, rights? Do, have you, you seen that, right? I'm assuming you've yes. seen that. Yes. Trademark is different. So trademark, um, it's really, you know, whoever started using it first um, has priority. Um, if somebody came along after and registered it, and it's possible to challenge their trademark uh, based on your prior prior. Is it expensive that. to challenge that? Yes, you See? could. You know, there's different. Everything. Everything's expensive. Once, unfortunately, <laughs> once you start getting, you know, lawyers involved, um, you're gonna have to. You could file a cancellation proceeding through the U.S. Trademark Office. Um, you could bring a legal action. Um, none of it's, you know. You know none of trivial. it's easy or cheap. But this is happening a lot right now. Correct. 
Yeah, we, we see some of that, yes. Oh, you only see some of it. All right. Yes. I thought it was much more prevalent than that. Okay. All right. I cut you off on your giving advice. Um, after patent approved, uh, right, we're there. Okay, so we're going to do the work up front. We're going to get our trademark cleared and registered. Then we're going to get a patent approved or pending, whatever it is related to it. Okay, continue Same on. Same thing with, with patents, you know, whatever your new product is. Before you can even think about getting your own patent, you have to make sure that nobody else has a patent, yeah, right? So right. same thing. You, you want to be clear. Um, you don't want to get too far down the road where you've, you know, you're working with manufacturers and you're having, you know, molds made up and you find out that, that somebody already has a design patent or somebody has a utility patent and you got to scrap the whole thing. So it's the same thing. It's just a matter of be, being prepared, um, you know, if you're a private label seller doing your own products, just do the work up front. It'll, it'll save you a lot in the long term. Wait, how expensive? I mean, when you when you see a company, and, and this is, I think, good piece of advice. So, you know, I've got this great water bottle I'm going to start, Mark. It's going to be amazing. Nobody's ever seen water bottles like these. So I'm getting ready to start up my company. And I, uh, I think of a name that I look, and it's probably pretty good. And I want to patent uh, uh, the trademark. bottle, right? I want trademark, and then I want to patent, yeah. right? I want both. I want to do both. Mm-hmm. I got... What, what's a reasonable expectation for a company or a new Amazon seller to expect to spend on that kind of stuff? But, uh, to have it done by the specialist lawyers, the ones that actually know this stuff rather than just a general lawyer. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a big variation in pricing depending on you know, where in the country you are and what, what particular specialties are. I think for a trademark, I think around $1,000 for okay. you know, so, some searching and, and for get your application on file. Um, that's in that, you know, and that would be about where you guys would come in, even as a big New York city law firm. I mean, that's that, that would be without complications, assuming it was reasonably. Yes. Okay. All right. Good. That's yeah, helpful. Yeah. Around 1075. Something like that is our sort of ah, standard. Yeah. To get that 75 yeah. bucks on there. Didn't you? Oh. And, then, and then patents, patents are depending on what type it is. Um, you know, if it's a design patent, I can tell at least my firm, and I believe many other firms do that on a fixed fee type of basis. You're going to wind up spending altogether between you know the legal fees, um, good good drawings that we would pay an outside draftsman to do, and the filing fees. You'd probably spend around twenty five hundred dollars. Okay, okay. So that's not. I mean, I was thinking it was going to be a lot worse than it's that. It's a pay. Utility patents um, can be a much wider range. It could be anything from a few thousand dollars to Tens of thousands of dollars. Those so are better just, patents to have, aren't they? The utility patents, because then you get to potentially license it to other people, right? I mean, that opens up, you know, that because that's I came up with a process here, Mark. You got to use my process. There's a fee, right? Yes, but what, but I would not discount um, design patents today. I think that they've become you know increasingly valuable. I mean, we saw a couple of years ago with the you know Apple Samsung case, you know the. The position of the button on the on the front of the phone, you know, was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So design patents, you know, are a lot of bang for your buck. For your buck, um, you know, really, we push, you know, definitely push them a lot more than you know than years ago. So if I'm a, a new seller and I think I have a product and it looks like it could be a really good one, mm-hmm. um, is there? So you're saying do your practice up front, Steve. Get the or get preparation. Excuse me. Uh, do the preparation up front, right? Get that work uh, that work done up front. Mm-hmm. Are there fees that your company or other companies charge just to do that consultation? Uh, of course. I, no, I, I've never charged anybody just to just to speak with them and give them an idea of what they should do, lay out a plan. 
Okay, uh, so so that's that's something that your company offers um, somewhat. Um, you know, I'm not going to say you're going to get a million people calling you, but but it's it is something that you guys do have that initial call because you guys have to feel out if I'm a real client too, right? I mean, you don't want to waste your time uh, either. Right, right. I mean, some of these things we would ask for some, you know, once we've laid out a plan and we've agreed on it, we would ask for some money up front, you know, okay. so we're going to be, we're going to be laying out money on your behalf. Okay. All right. So I guess uh, the takeaways that I'm going to take away from this conversation is if we do our work up front, um, the value of having a trademark and the value of having a patent could make that company worth a heck of a lot more than I'm making selling water bottles on Amazon. Correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's an asset, that's intangible asset. That's a, a, there's value there that I can sell. Yeah, you can license, ultimately license your brand to somebody else and then just sit back and collect money. Okay. All right. So uh, before I ask my final question, uh, best way to get in touch with you. So the, the, the law firm is arelaw.com. That's the name of it. Again, it's Amster, Rothstein, and Ebenstein, and they're in New York City. Is that the yeah. only place you guys are located or... It is, yes. It is. And you can practice all around the U.S.? Um, we do practice, you know, all over the country and okay. around the world. We have affiliates and, you know, other attorneys we work with, yes. All around. And and we covered a broad uh, uh, range of subjects. But, they, you know, they're all kind of related to e-commerce today. And it's going to become a bigger deal. These guys, uh, this is where the practice is moving. And so... Um, this is a, a great place. So best way to get in touch with you if they have a uh, follow-up questions, they want to talk um, different things. Um, my email is mberkowitz at arelaw.com or my phone. Uh, I generally, I'm here at my desk most of the time. And What's the number? And I'll put it in here. Sure. It's 212-336-8063. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny. You still have the uh, 212. You guys still made it, right? They haven't squeezed <laughs> you out yet. Uh, everybody knows that that's New York, but it's getting smaller and smaller, right? Uh, yeah, our firm's <laughs> been here for a while. <laughs> that's right. Okay, all right. So the, the final question I ask people is what I see, and I talk to so many different people that they have some success. They're, they're really, you know, everything's rocking and rolling, and then they hit a wall, right? They, they get stuck, right? They get stuck in design. They get stuck with trying to figure out trademark. They get stuck. They just can't move forward. And it doesn't have to be just IP related. What's your advice? What's the best or something that you've used to be able to push you past that point of stuck to be able to, to attain the success you're looking for? I always try, I would say, try something instead of, you know, just staring at the page. You know, I mean, I, I do a lot of, a lot of writing and type a lot of, you know, brief writing and legal argument. And I think that, you know, when I get stuck is just, just put some, just start, if you know, pick a direction and go with it. Um, you can always, you know, change things later. But best best bet is just to just to keep going, push yourself forward. You know, it's funny you say that because my when I got through grad school, that was it. I would write something; it was poorly written, poorly, you know, uh, edited. But then that was the basis, and then you could build from there. And so I think that's really strong advice. Very, very strong. Well, very, very cool, Mark Berkowitz. Uh, you made law fun today very interesting actually it is interesting and you made it very interesting and relevant and relative to us in the e-commerce world i really appreciate it thank you so much i wish you nothing but success appreciate it thank you so much what a great guy it was funny afterwards i said to him i said are, are the old dudes meaning me coming to him asking for advice he said every day and it's just so cool that they're in the position of power now because let's face it every company is staring down this amazon thing saying what do i do what do i do what do i do and uh you know all of a sudden him and his other young guy are the cool guys on the block for now. 
So take advantage of it, Mark. Very cool. Uh, great guy. Again, it's arelaw.com, arelaw.com. Go read some of that stuff because it might pertain to you. It might be worth uh, finding out. Um, you heard how much uh, a trademark and a patent. I mean, that's not that much money. If you're really building a strong brand, do it right. Do the work up front, as Mark said. I think that's really good, solid advice. Ecommercemomentum.com, ecommerce momentum. Thanks for listening to the E-Commerce Momentum Podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.